Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Did you know that you can experience many of the wines I taste here on the Wine and Cheese My Podcast? I'm sure you're aware of how important it is to me to highlight wine brands that are owned by those in the Latinx community. That is why the last Wednesday of each month, we host a virtual wine tasting featuring Latinx-owned wine brands. Whether you choose to partake in the tasting or just want to learn something about these vintners, If you enjoy wine, you will love these virtual events. Please visit thewineandcheesemetpodcast.com slash events for more information. Let's support our community and support these small vintners. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Cheesemet Podcast podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. I am so excited to have my friend Sarita with us today. So Sarita is an empowerment coach, passionate about inner work. She's a talk show host, a mindset coach, and founder of Sarita Wellness. What began first as a journey of sex, not sex exploration, but I guess that could kind of be part of it, (laughs) (laughs) self-exploration, has since boomed into a full-grown business. She is on a mission to redefine self-care in the BIPOC spaces. She guides women to reclaim their power and go from disconnected to deeply connected, all via self-care through her new membership community, Self-Embrace Collective. So I'm super excited that you're here, Sarita. Welcome to the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And what a unique experience to be able to share Cheese me and wine and talk about my business. I know. And you know what? I've been wanting to have you on for a while, but I think it's really needed. Self-care and, and how we do that and everything. I feel like it's over the last 18 months, it's really been a focus that had never really been in this sense before. But before we get into all that, mm-hmm. we got into the wine before we get into the cheese me. So what kind of wine are you drinking today? So I did have, I spilled a lot of it, unfortunately, (laughs) but I had a bubbly California uh, sparkling wine and it is called, you know what? I don't remember what it's called. I'm so sorry. I should know this, but it is from Scout and Cellar, which I really like. Somebody introduced me to it. It's a California bubbly. So when you say it's spilled, do you mean it's spilt into your mouth and down your throat? (laughs) (laughs) Ideally, that would have been great, but. Uh, no, I spilled a little bit as I was trying to get set for set up for oh, this, but man. I did get a majority of it though. <laughs> well, at least you got some of it. So I'm actually drinking yes. today a Rioja that my friends brought me from Spain. Ooh. So it's called Lagunilla Optimist 2016. 
and it's a Rioja. I couldn't find a lot of information on it. I'm really excited about it. And wait, let me show you. Okay, do you see? If you look at the bottle, you can see that I've taken wine out, right? But look, the mm -hmm. cork is still in it. Oh, So wow. I got this. It's this wine system called Coravin that literally it has. And this is not a paid ad. I wish it was. Coravin, if you're listening, like pay up. <laughs> But it's really, really <laughs> awesome because it's this thing that you just clamp around and then the needle goes through the cork and there's this, it's called argon gas that you pump into it. So oh, it preserves wow. the wine and then you pour the wine out. So it literally is like, I could have this wine a year from now and it'll be like, I just opened yeah. it. Still yeah, fresh. it'll still be fresh. That's amazing technology. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. I'm so excited about it. So, but I haven't had it. So this is the first time I'm going to smell it. So I have this little thing here. It's like for wine tasting. Oh, It's neat. like this little circle thing. So when mm -hmm. you do wine tasting, you can actually say, okay, what fruits do I taste? What did it, oh, I taste. And it'll tell you citrus fruits, berry fruits, tree fruits, tropical fruits, like all these things. If it's nutty, if you have like that caramel taste, what kind it would be. It's like a little yeah, cheat sheet. So it's really awesome. So I did let this sit out. I did put this in my decant. So I got really fancy today for you. Because oh, I thank you. Used... That's that's some self-care for <laughs> yes, you. Yeah, I, that's I was truly practicing self-care because I went from <laughs> using Malcoravin and I didn't even put it directly into the glass. I put it into my decanter and then let it decant for about 30 minutes. And then that's really I neat. put it in my glass. So let me see. What it smells like. Oh, this definitely smells like cherry. That's like mm. really strong. I don't know what else. Maybe plum, but I feel like there's something else. Clove, that's what I smell. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's kind of a um, more of a rich type of Yeah, so wine. I don't know that what the amazing. blends are of this Rioja. Let me taste it now. Oh, I forgot to say cheers. Cheers. Here's my sound effects. <laughs> definitely. Oh, it's a very dry red wine. Very, very dry. Mm, it sounds like it. Yeah, it's very, very dry like... It really kind of just like evaporates from your tongue very quickly. And I do taste the cherry. You know what I think? I think it has like um like tobacco. Ooh, so it's kind of more of a smoky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're always kind of like, how do I tell the flavor? So what I tell people is anytime you have fruit, smell your fruit, right? Like really smell your mm -hmm. fruit, especially when it's really ripe and everything. Smell your fruit. Anytime you're cooking, smell the herbs that you're cooking with. Because the more you do that, the more those things will start, like your head and your taste buds will start lining up. Interconnecting, yeah. yeah that's and so then true. you're like, oh, wait, I think I taste this. I think I taste this. So like lemongrass, did you ever with lemongrass, like pick it and just start eating it? We did as kids. I love the smell of lemongrass. Oh my gosh, as kids yeah. we'd be like, like just totally, we're weirdos, I guess. <laughs> There was mm -hmm. also these berries that we used to, like these teeny tiny berries that would grow on this bush outside my grandma's house. And me and my cousins would just mm -hmm. pick them off by the handful and eat them. We wouldn't even wash oh, them. Cool. We would just like pick them off the bush. Thank goodness they weren't poisonous. Yeah, right? I mean, look, with everything going on, I think I've put a lot of different things, like as a kid, a certain, you know, I guess they're... I can survive a lot of things because of the things I did when I was a kid. <laughs> so I'm really excited about today Love because it. we're going to like really going to focus on self-care because that's really something that you are very, very 
into. That's something that you've built, you're building your business. I mean, your business, Sarita Wellness, is all about self-care and particularly within Mm -hmm. BIPOC communities, even more specifically BIPOC women. And you want to empower women from the inside out. And I think that's really the only way you you can be empowered, right? You can't be empowered. Other people can help, but ultimately it has to start with you. So how did you even start with this? Like growing up, was that something that you, like looking back growing up, is that something that you feel like you never had? So now you're really trying to make sure that you're empowering yourself because it wasn't something you had when you were growing up? Exactly. I did not have really any examples of around self-care, around taking time for self, for doing the inner work, doing practices, having a tool belt full of ideas that you can pull out and utilize during those times that when you need to fill up your cup. And as a child, I was raised by a single mother and uh, I was actually adopted from Central America and she was uh, raising me in the Midwest. So I do have the added extra layer of having a mother that is a different culture than me racially, just because she had kind of a different generational perspective on life. She herself didn't uh, do anything really that had to do with her. And I remember so often where she would be putting other people before her, her kids, her family members, her parents. And she would go long times without even doing very simple things like getting new eyeglasses or getting haircuts when she needed it. And if she did get a haircut, it'd be like a $5 haircut. So I didn't see any of that. And also too, like I didn't see her taking time for herself to be able to nourish her own physical body and mental body. And so Of course, we pick up on these things naturally, subconsciously as children, and we emulate a lot. And by the time I got to be to high school and college and post-college, I didn't even know how to take care of myself. And it really started presenting itself in ways of unhealthy relationships. And I'm not talking about hygiene. I'm talking about really taking care of myself on the level of where I would be putting myself first and filling up my cup in ways so I could show up as the best person I could be. But I was letting a lot of outside noise and activity really dictate who I was as a person. And so I was just kind of like a leaf blowing in the wind, just letting outside sources just blow me to wherever. And before I knew it, I was like, who am I? (laughs) How do I even start? And at the time, it was, uh, I just started with very simple processes, but they weren't long lasting. And so I decided self-care practices were a way, wellness is a way that you show up in the world. And from that, Sarita Wellness kind of uh, blossomed because like you said in the intro, it was a personal development and a journey, but I realized there are so many more people that need to see and hear this. So you were saying a couple of things that I want to make sure I follow up on. First, you were saying you were you were adopted. How old were you when you were adopted? Were you a baby or were you a toddler? Were you a little bit older? Yeah, I was three years old when I was adopted. So I already spoke Spanish. I was a little older than a toddler and just being uprooted from a, uh, my culture, language and and region and transplanted into the Midwest of, of all places. I was very disconnected, very disconnected from what self. What part of the Midwest did you move to? Uh, St. Louis. That's where okay. I grew up. Yeah. I don't think Missouri. there's a big Latinx community in St. Louis, is there? Mm-mm. I mean, I've been there. I've been there for like a long weekend for a wedding, but that's about mm-hmm. it. 
I grew up in the 80s there, so really no, there were not lots of Latinos there, a Latin community. Now there's, we're everywhere. So (laughs) yes, now there is uh, a little bit more, but it's not like a Mecca, like, you know, Southern California per se. Is that something that you even remember? Because I would imagine, please feel free, you don't have to answer this question. Do you know what the circumstances were that why you got adopted out of your home country? Was it Ecuador or El Salvador? I can't remember. El Salvador. There was uh, in the 1980s, uh, I don't know if you remember the listeners or remember, there was a lot of um, unrest happening in Central America, more specifically El Salvador, and there was a civil war going on. So there were plenty of uh, families that were being torn apart and kids being displaced. Luckily, I was not one of those children. I just had a mother who had me at a very older age. She was 45 when she had me, and I was one of quite a few children. She didn't have the means to take care of me, and it ended up working out nicely because my adopted mother wanted children, and it just happened to be El Salvador was a place that had a lot of children coming out. So it worked out nicely. She was able to get connected through an agency and and adopt me that way. Well, when you say 45, I'm about to be 44. So I'm like, that's not old. So no, that's not older anymore. <laughs> that's my age. <laughs> but then, you know. I was just more thinking about child uh, childbearing yes, age. Yes. <laughs> well, she did it, right? Yeah, 45. Yeah. There's still hope for me yet. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I can imagine the strife, especially with all of those things going on and and everything. And then being completely uprooted, like you said, like Spanish was your first language. You already knew it. You already had like culture behind you. And then moving, that must have been, do you remember that? I mean, that could, I would imagine that would be really traumatizing at three years old because you have a mom, you have brothers and sisters And now I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I can only, and I'm hitting everything because I'm just like, my hands are flailing because I'm trying to (laughs) comprehend how a three-year-old deals with that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that is part of the self-discovery journey that I've been on since I was, I can remember. The part of me that hurt the most and really internalized the most was the feeling of lack of worth and not feeling loved because I associated being given up, placed in a new home as like a form of rejection. And as a three-year-old at the time, you don't, you don't understand what's going on. Three-year-olds don't understand things. They can see things through the lens of a child, but not understand why. And so a lot of things ended up getting internalized for me it was around feeling unworthy and the lack of self-love, especially growing up in a community where I was one of the few people of color in pretty much every circumstance from church to school to soccer club to gymnastics. It was traumatizing. Having the uprooting and, and moving to a new place, a new home, being forced to learn a language and just having to acclimate so quickly. Luckily, as a child, we're able to do that. But the after effects sort of the long lasting ripple of that rock being thrown in and the ripple effect from that was the feelings of unworthiness and self-worth and like lack of self-love and, and not being able to communicate. And of course, the situation with my mother and seeing how she was not able to take care of self 
also got projected on me. So I had, by the time I got to be high school age, I was pretty much in kind of a depression state. And it really rippled effect to the point in college when I remember going through some really deep depression, dark times, because I just, at the time in the 80s, they're just the resources were there, but they were not as prevalent as they are now. Therapy, yeah. you know, still kind of taboo. These topics that we're talking about right now around self-care and self-love and and anything that has to do with filling up your cup, it was it just wasn't talked about and there were not the resources available. So I created something, a practice for myself because I didn't see what was available for me. Yeah. I mean, you're starting off with that trauma, like you said. And I made an assumption and I apologize for this assumption. And you can let me know if I'm correct. I was assuming that you were with your birth family until you got adopted. How long were you with your birth family? Because I just made that assumption. I don't know. I don't even know why. Mm -hmm. I was with the birth family for about two years. And then I was put in a foster home in El Salvador. So I was not with the birth family for very long Mm -hmm. at all. I'm not sure, honestly, how many foster homes I went to through before I got adopted to the States, but I definitely was in the foster care system there before I found and landed a home in St. Louis. Like you said, you're, you're coming into this situation where you're learning. You're not only getting a new family, you're learning a new language, you're learning a whole new culture. It's I could see a very traumatizing and very overwhelming experience for a three-year-old. When did you realize that you didn't see your mom taking care of herself? When was that like a click? Because you've mentioned that a few times where she wasn't somebody who she took care of everybody else. And I think that's something we as women tend to do anyways, is we take care of everybody else and we take care of ourselves last. And it's Maybe it's a new thing that we're like, we need to do self-care. But I think over the last maybe five to 10 years where it's really been like, look, if you're not taking care of you, you can't take care of anybody else. And maybe it's not even been 10 years. Maybe it's been like five years or so. But at what Mm -hmm. point did you realize that she did not, she wasn't taking care of herself and for her not being able to take care of herself? She couldn't give the best to everybody else if you're not, if she wasn't taking care of herself. Exactly. There were signs that didn't necessarily register as a child, like, oh, my mom's not taking care of herself. It was just noted, uh, just signs that I saw, things like staying up really, really late and doing all like the housework herself, going to bed really late and not getting sufficient sleep. So she would be really crabby, like she just wouldn't be fully rested and she would get up early in the morning. And I didn't even realize later on that she actually ended up having like a second job at nighttime. She shared this with me after I like completely moved out and became a full on adult. She didn't even let us know that she was doing, she was picking up laundry and doing laundry and ironing laundry like late at night. I had no idea this was happening. So little things like I mentioned, not getting haircuts or getting eyeglasses when she needed it. So it was it was not things that I necessarily like thought the light bulb went off like, oh my gosh, like she doesn't take care of herself. And then also too, when she adopted my sister, I became a lot of the caretaker role to alleviate her. And however, she was still overexhausted. She was just very exhausted. And then also too, my mom ended up gaining a lot of weight over the years. And so that was also a indicator to me, like, wow, 
she's not taking care of herself. And so it wasn't even until I became an adult and after I had a very toxic relationship in my early, early 20s and got out of it that I realized like, wow, like these so many of the ways I perceive life and the way I act and the way I interact with myself and people and communicate, I'm like, there's so much that was taught and so much that was taken on subconsciously without me even knowing it. And so then I started looking back and reflecting on my life and noticing kind of the patterns that started with just little physical activities, lack of activities, I should say, and then lack of like emotional self-care. It wasn't talked about. I wasn't nurtured to talk about feelings and things like that. So the light bulb kind of hit way, way into being an adult later on in life, probably in like mid to late 20s. I get this because I went into depression. And actually, I was talking about this with a friend last night when I was in high school. My senior year of high school, I had to take Zoloft. I like went into a clinical depression. For me, I know what my that trigger was for me. And it was this move. It was a move from San Diego to Albuquerque two weeks before my junior year of high school started and being completely uprooted from everything that I knew and everything that I wanted to stay at still middle of adolescence, that was the the trigger for me of why I went into a depression. Do you know what that trigger was for you? Or was it just a buildup of certain things that were happening that put you into this depression by the time you were in high school? It definitely was a buildup. There wasn't anything specific that I can recall, big life-changing event. The constant theme that was coming up was the lack of being understood feeling like no matter what I said or did around the people that I had in my community, my my mother, my family at school, I was constantly being misunderstood. And now as an adult, I understand, number one, I wasn't nurtured in being able to communicate because my family didn't talk about feelings. They didn't talk about how are you processing this? Or what is this event making you feel like? There was just those questions were never asked. So that was one reason. And then the other reason I do have to say is something that happens a lot in the BIPOC communities when you're in white spaces is that you feel very isolated. And I didn't have a lot of people growing up that were close to me that were similar like me. And when I did, I wasn't super close to them. And a big defining life changer for me was befriending a biracial girl and her mom was Mexican and her dad was white in high school. And just without even having to talk about it, we just related so well to each other, having one parent that was white. And for me, it was just that one parent feeling like I had somebody safe that I could speak with. So I think those were the two main things is just feeling the lack of being understood and not being able to communicate were big indicators or big, I should say, triggers for feeling like alone and sad and not knowing how to like work through things and process feelings. Going through all of that, were there ever times, I'm trying to like think of all the things that you must have gone through because it's just so much. Like there's just a lot that you've gone through, Sarita. And I keep think, like trying to think of that, but I've never been in that type, like that with all of the layers, right? And mm-hmm. growing up in San Diego, a lot of my friends were all of different ethnicities and different races and stuff. So not that they treated me any different, but there were some times where I was definitely treated different. When you got out of high school, did you go to college? 
Did you, like, what was the point when you started thinking like, okay, this is not right. I need to work on myself. And where did you go to do that? College was definitely, like a lot of people, a great personal growth experience. I am so grateful that I did that. Yeah, I feel like for so many people, that's kind of the the catalyst for so much it is. into growth in so many different ways. It is. And it was for me. So I finally was free from living at home and and <laughs> not being constantly subjected to my mom's emotional inconsistency. So that was really liberating. Being able to live in a dormitory and there was a lot more people of color, thank goodness, in my college I mean, it was still very white space, but also being able to be exposed to that. So it was an opportunity to really discover and dive into self. And it wasn't necessarily like around self-care specifically, but it was more about getting to know my identity. And I did that through part of like student unions. I was part of the Black Student Union. I helped start the Latin American Student Organization, the women's organization there, I was uh, constantly part of the international club. So I was just subjecting myself to as much diversity as possible. And finally, it felt so good to sit at the table and be part and be in safe spaces. And so I utilized the time to really get to know the other BIPOC folk that were there. And granted, the experience wasn't the same as mine because I still felt kind of isolated because being adopted and the, the term that is used for somebody like me is a transracial adoptee. So I call myself a Latina transracial adoptee. So that means somebody that was adopted and is has a parent or a guardian that is of a different race than them. And most commonly, it's like a white parent and a black child. But now because there's so much diversity in the adoption community, there's a lot of different different experiences. So I still felt really isolated in the fact that I was kind of forced into this place where I didn't like it, but yet it's something I now realize. I'm like, wow, this is such a a superpower. But at the time it was hard because it was like, I didn't know who I was, but this bridge where I could be white and completely ignore my Latina-ness Or I could be, you know, in the BIPOC BIPOC spaces and still feel like not ethnic enough or Latina enough. And so it was like, where do I fit in? It was constantly this struggle. Like it was nice because it was like, okay, I can be a chameleon so I can be in white spaces and be like, you know, yeah, stand out a little bit, but still mesh in and people won't ask about me and about my story and like I'm just another person. But then in the communities of color, I felt like, especially with the other people that were Latinx, I I felt a little rejected because my Spanish wasn't as good. And they were, a lot of them were international students from Latin America. So they didn't understand the concept of being Latin American living in the United States as somebody growing up. So it was a small liberal arts college. And so it was like, yeah, there was a lot of dynamics going on. So It was confusing, but yet it was like very empowering as well. I think it's awesome that you sought out these other spaces and these other things to get in touch with who you are as a person, as a whole person, rather than just one side of yourself. I get the whole, like, because I'm a light-skinned Latina. I know I've said this on the podcast, like, all the time, but it's because I'm aware of the privilege that comes with that. And you really said that in regards to being able to kind of 
you blend in with white in white spaces, but there's always something different about you, right? Like people know, they know yes. you're not quote unquote white, but you're white enough to be <laughs> in white spaces. I get that. Right. And then mm-hmm. the other part of not feeling like your Latinidad is enough, because I feel like within our own community, we're constantly cutting each other down. Like we're not enough. We're not yes. this. We're not that. Instead of saying like, for me, Spanish was not my first language. My Spanish is okay. It could always improve and I'm always trying to improve it. However, my parents, Spanish was their first language, but because they used to get in trouble going to school and speaking mm. Spanish, like they were in major trouble. Yeah. They didn't want us growing, me and my sisters growing up with that stigma. They didn't want us growing up and getting in trouble. Like it got in their head so much. They thought they were going to speak a lot more Spanish to us than they did. And so my first language is English and it's not Spanish. And I would always ask my parents, like, why did you get not? Oh, it's because we used to get in trouble. And I think there's some people who don't understand that. Like, why don't you speak Spanish or why this or why that? And, you know, now I've chosen to be more connected to that. And I've always had like a basic level of Spanish and I've tried to get it better and better. And the more that I drink, the better it gets too, because I get so (laughs) self-conscious. Me too. Yeah, it's the self-conscious, right? There's sometimes where I'm like drinking and Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I didn't. Actually, there's sometimes just in general where I'm in Mexico or something and I say something and I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that was in here. And it came out really Mm -hmm. well. Yeah, right. (laughs) But with all of that said, it's very, very easy to get in that space where you're just like, where do I fit? Because I don't feel like I'm white that I want to hang out with these people. My culture is very, very different. And actually, I don't feel like my Latinidad is not enough around a lot of my friends I've grown up with and people I've grown up with and people I've met and everything. And I haven't heard it, but I'm sure one day somebody will tell me something. It would come from the outside, right? Somebody I don't know, somebody I blah, 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 that would project that onto me. Did you feel like things were projected onto you during that time? Like you said, a lot of people were international students, but even from people that were from the U.S., did you feel like whatever they're feeling, whether you're not white enough or not Latina enough, did you feel like those projections were put onto you? And how did you deal with that if they were? I did. And this is part of the self-discovery journey that I I realized is that there was not a lot of, and I've been very research-based type of person, there wasn't a lot of research done around being somebody that was adopted. And keep in mind, this was, uh, I was going to college in like the early 2000s. So I went into college in 98 and then I graduated in 2002. So the research out there was just not prevalent. And a lot of times it had to do with like social work. And I looked into it a little bit, but it wasn't something that I knew much a lot about. And so yeah, the stories, a lot of the stories of not speaking Spanish, like, okay, um, even simple conversations where it was like it, the transition into English, okay, because you know I'll, I'll make you feel more comfortable, or you're making me feel uncomfortable because I see you struggling. So therefore, like let's speak English, which is your native tongue, so that'll make you feel better. And then you know, from friends, white friends never really asked much about my adopted experience, and they would apologize if they would ask questions about it. And I'm like, I've always had a very open conversation or dialogue around my adoption, and it's never been anything that I shy away from. From. So yeah, there have been a lot of projections of, of that. And so especially coming out here to California. So I came out to California, Southern California, never had been here before, 2002. 
And it was major culture shock. It didn't even dawn on me how close Mexico is to San Diego, basically just down, you know, down the freeway. We're 15 minutes from the border and they're like, I mean, obviously there's cities yeah. closer, but if you live in live mm-hmm. close to downtown, you're only 15 minutes from the border. Yeah, super close. It was such culture shock. It was like I came and I'm around people that look like me. This is insane. And, and the only experience I'd had with full immersion like that was when I did a study ab- abroad in Nepal or I did a study abroad in Peru. And so coming to Southern California in San Diego, I was like, wow, this is what it feels like to like be a part of a group. And yet, even during my time here, now it's changed because of my personal growth journey and my spiritual journey and my self-love journey. At first, it was the projection of, oh, she's just like us. She grew up in San Diego or she has parents that speak Spanish or she knows like these things. So it was like this cultural projection of like, you're just like us, but yet I'm not, you know, I'm not like you. I have a different narrative. I have a completely different experience when I tell people, yeah, like, oh, I was born in El Salvador. Oh, cool. Like, when did your family come here? And I'm like, well... It was just me. And so it was, it's always this long explanation. And for a long time, it was like exhausting. You know, like, oh, got to go into this story over and over again. Now it's a celebration. Like, I'm like, I'm unique. I am changing my narrative, my experience. I'm changing what people perceive as what is Latina? What is the Latina experience? It is so diverse. Now we know it's so diverse and it's not just one way. Now I can be a part of the creativity and the culture diversity within our own culture. Yeah. Well, now if you get tired of talking about it, you can be like, go to this podcast. It explains everything. And then you can come <laughs> ask me questions. Exactly. <laughs> At what point did you feel like you really started delving into, because you said you've gone through like kind of what your journey was and we're continuing on this journey. The journey never ends until we are put in the ground in whatever form that is. Until we are part of the earth again, it continues and it probably continues beyond that. But at what, where did you really start? Where did you go from the self-awareness and that you're continuing to self, to wellness, to trying to figure out like, okay, now, now it's time to figure out what's best for me and how to take care of me. When did that transition happen? Yeah, that shift. Kind of a two-part answer to that because the first part was going to graduate school. uh, I decided to focus on me as a a, um, identity. And I I learned about transracial adoption, transracial adoptees, read a lot of uh, psychological papers, and really started to understand why I was the way I was about having trauma, having issues of rejection and and stuff like that. And so that was the segue into me learning more about myself and the self-care journey. But it wasn't, I realized after I was in a relationship, I was in a relationship for about eight years and I was kind of thrown into it. I just got out of it about two months ago and I was kind of thrown into it because not only was it a relationship with a man, but it was also like with his kids. So I was 
suddenly in this position where I was like a, I was a, a caretaker for, for his kids. They were a little bit older, but still it was like, there were so many moving parts happening in my life, like being a employee, being a significant other, being like a, a stepmom, a doggy mom. And like, there were so many things happening. It was so overwhelming that I wasn't doing anything for me. What I started to do was like wellness self-care practices. That was simple little things from going back to journaling, because I used to do that as a kid, journaling, like bubble baths, utilizing essential oils, yoga, but I wasn't really taking the time to do it consistently. So I like to say that that was like a Band-Aid approach. It was so much going on and I wasn't really addressing the real the real issue, which was like the internal relationship with myself, the actual self-connection that I needed to have for me to show up in the space of self-care practices. So it was like, I would start something and then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't continue with it. And so, like I say, it was like a band-aid approach. So it was like a little cut. All right, let's dress the wound a little bit. Okay. That falls off. It washes off. Like, all right, let's do the wound to care again. But it wasn't like I wasn't addressing the actual wound, which was, or is, I should say, the journey that I needed to take inside myself, like the really subconscious work, like the self-love work, the self-diving work, the inner work. And that's when I realized after kind of near the end of my relationship, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be a woman that is redefining what we see as self-care because so, and then COVID hit, you know? And so it was like for so long, self-care has been, it's like a billion dollar industry. If you look at like hashtag Mm self-care or look up self-care, there's like so still so much about like, oh, buy this or drink this or like, you know, buy this purse or like self-care time and bubble baths and facials, right? The industry. Like you said, I think those are band-aids for the really hard work, which is really the biggest Mm -hmm. part of self-care, which is really, and I think COVID, the pandemic has given people an opportunity and what people decided to do with that opportunity is up to them, but it gave everybody an opportunity to dive into themselves because like for me, I'm a very extroverted person, but I've realized that a lot of times I was going out to all of these places to avoid being alone. Like I live alone and I've loved, I like my alone mm-hmm. time. I like that. Mm-hmm. But I was always out. My mom, since I was a kid, she'd be like, I, ah, you're always out in la calle. You know, you're always out doing the streets, doing this and that. And <laughs> it wasn't until the pandemic that I, it, I uh-huh. realized, I think it was to avoid certain things that I didn't want to know about myself because I was always like, I don't like being alone for too long because then I start thinking crazy thoughts. Well, when you're living by yourself and you're in a pandemic and you can't go anywhere, those crazy thoughts come up. But it was the first time I had to deal with it. And why am I having these thoughts? Totally. First time Mm -hmm. in my life that I had to really think of it and deal with that. So how did you create Sarita Wellness and what are you focusing on with that? in regards to working with women? Yes. So Sarita Wellness actually has been through a couple seasons. So originally it was around more about the the physical wellness. Now it really concentrates on the emotional wellness aspect. I take my own personal journey as an example. Like I help, 
I help guide women, um, more specifically BIPOC women, to go from that overwhelming sense of like so much happening in their life to the point where they can self-connect, they can connect to themselves so they can show up, so they can thrive. And I like saying self-care is meeting you right exactly where you are because you do need to accept exactly where you are. You knew, you do need to accept who you are as a person because you're an amazing human being. So I dive a lot more into the self work. So a lot of it is like subconscious mindset. I'm uh, certified in NLP and I'm really fascinated by how our subconscious mind works. And so, and what does NLP stand for before? uh, Sorry. Yeah. It stands for uh, neuro linguistic programming. It's a way in which you can help somebody transform their thinking on a subconscious level to be able to get rid of old habits, be able to get rid of like toxic traits and things like that and be more aware. It helps with communication. That's really what NLP was constructed for is to be a better communicator. And so what better place than to start with communicating with yourself and what you desire and what you want in this life and how you can show up better for yourself. And so I help women through that particular journey, getting really into who they are as a person and loving themselves. And I do that through um, different avenues. And most recently, I'm actually starting a community called Self-Embrace Collective because I I know how important community is, especially for the BIPOC community and for for women of color. I know this is something that is going to be very, very good and helpful because that's the thing when it comes to like our self-care and our self-worth and all these things I've been talking about we've been conditioned to feel isolated. Just like my story, like we've just, I was feeling very isolated, but it doesn't need to be like that. We can go through a journey together and also, you know, do the inner work that will help. And it gives permission to other women to do the same when you're doing that. Ooh, that's a lot, girl. No, but that's awesome. I think it's, you know, so many women (laughs) need it beyond doing the facial stuff, the spa stuff, that's always good. And that always makes you feel good. But that's just a temporary, like right when it's happening. Exactly. Like emotions are fleeting, right? Anger, happiness, fear. Like I always feel like emotions are fleeting, but I've always said that I have joy and that's not a fleeting feeling. Being joyful and having that in your heart, that's not a fleeting feeling. That doesn't mean that I don't get angry and I don't get sad and I don't get all of these other things. But internally, I have something bigger that does not allow my emotions to completely override my life. Because if we allowed our emotions to take over our life, we would all be complete wrecks. Like, (laughs) I know I would (laughs) be a complete wreck. What are the things, because I know you have like your Monday chats. I've been a guest on one. So thank you for having me. did, yes. I think they focus on different things, but what do they mostly focus on? And um, those are on Instagram. Tell people about what those chats entail. Sure. So the, the chats I do, it's called Manifestacion Monday. 
And I really love it because manifestación is a is a word that means like a declaration, a statement, a becoming, very like powerful word. And so I I speak with Latinas and they share their empowerment stories with me. It's amazing. It's really healing for me and then also for the audience to be able to hear stories of women that have done things that are against the grain, have become like who they are rediscovering themselves, breaking away from like a nine to five, you know, offer a relationship, moving to this country, like so many different dynamics. And that's what I love uh, to share with people. And that's why I've created kind of the community that I've created because I desire for the impact. And we know empowerment comes from within and having these stories shared with my audience, it helps them see that they're not alone in this journey. They, when someone shares their story, we actually end up hearing our story in them. And it's so amazing because it, it does give you the sense of like, wow, I'm not alone. And that gives me permission to be able to share what it is that I want to share, become a better communicator, speaker, talker, and gives you permission to be your authentic self. That's awesome. I think that like, there's so many stories out there that need to be told. And oftentimes we, we may not relate to all of it, but there's things that we can relate to and take from that to be able to, in our journey, in our own journey. When you work with people, do you work with people on a group basis, individual basis? How do you, how does that work for you? Yeah. So I've worked uh, one-on-one with women and then I've also done group coaching. And like I said, most recently I'm creating this membership community so women can come and be a part of this, come as they are to this membership community that's going to be going on all year long and they can get self-care tips and coaching. I just wanted to have this be more available to people. They can access what I have to offer and gives them a safe space to come to, to be able to share themselves and then also like soak up all the nourishment. And if people want to find out more information about that community, how can they reach you? Sure. So it's on my Sarita Wellness page, Instagram handle, and that's, and Facebook as well. Instagram page is I just started for that and it's called Self Embrace Collective. It has not gone live yet, but it will be at the beginning of September. So So right now, if you do become a member now, you're actually going to be a founding member and you'll get the discounted price and be grandfathered in even when the price increases, whenever that is. So it's a, it's a really good deal. Sarita, you have such an incredible story and so much. Have you ever, before we, before we kind of close out and everything, have you ever attempted to look for your birth family or anybody in your, in El Salvador? I haven't yet. That's part of my experience, or I should see, I should say, story that's blossomed in the last, I would say, six months or so. Now that there, there's so many outlets, and thank goodness for social media for this. Facebook group now, kind of a Zoom group that we meet on a monthly basis, started kind of uh, during the pandemic, specifically for transracial adoptees from Latin America. So I'm now connected with a lot of people all over the world that are adopted from Latin America. And through sharing our individual stories and connecting with some people that I find very so similar in our experiences, we have been discussing some people have connected with their families, some people haven't, and just seeing how like where they are in their life with that. 
And it's given me, like, like I said, like the empowerment comes within, but also seeing the stories of other people going through that journey, it's actually planted the seed. And so I'm 41 now and I was adopted when I was three. So I have no idea who's out there (laughs) when, you know, when I do choose to do that, but it's something before that I was very closed off to, but because I'm in a safe space community of people that have, have already gone through that, it's given me the permission to be excited that that's something that I'm desiring to do in the future. Oh, that's awesome. I want to make sure I give you the last opportunity to share if there's anything I didn't ask or anything that you want to share, please do so. Oh, thank you so much. I just love being able to uplift women in the the space of loving themselves because we've been taught such an early age and especially, like I said, in our BIPOC communities to be isolated and feel like we're alone and have a struggle. But the thing is that is so creative that that is so cool that we have created as a community are these spaces where we're safe, are these spaces to reject the norm of we're supposed to struggle and we're supposed to have like a, a narrative that is overwhelming. But yet we've created things like self-care. We've created things like self-love to be able to reject that and really focus on us. And as a collective, we're as a group, we're so much stronger as a collective than we are individually. So I really believe that community and starting within, starting the journey within first is the best place to start, but then also finding communities where you can share that same experience with other people is beyond powerful. Love that. Well, the last question I always ask is, because we start with wine and we end with wine. So what is your favorite type of wine, red, white, or rosé? And do you have a favorite type of wine within that? Ooh, the answer to that is it depends on the time of day, believe it or not. So during the day, I like drinking more of the white and the bubbly and rosés are super fun because they're pink and I love pink. And then red wine with like a really good like pasta dinner. Like I associate red wine with like kind of sleepy time, (laughs) relaxing wine down time. It's your sleepy time tea. (laughs) My sleepy time tea, exactly, during my bumble bath. I would say that just recently in the last year, I've really gotten into sparkling wine. I really like it. It's just so refreshing and crispy. Uh, That would be my first choice. And then in the evenings, a really good red wine. I, you know what? I've actually gotten into Pinot Noirs recently. I like them a lot. Pinot Noirs are good. Sarita, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Sharing your time with me. And you guys, by the time this comes out, your new Instagram will probably be live. So check out her new Instagram. Go to Sarita Wellness as well. And do not be afraid to reach out. Until next time, Thank gente. You. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheese on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheese Podcast on Facebook.
Remember, if you want to hear more wine and cheese, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more.